So, biblical parenting for the glory of God, session number three, discipline. Here we go. Okay, the question is this. Are there really any fail-safe methods of child-rearing? And the answer is no. There's no foolproof method of child-rearing. Remember, we're leaving the product to who? Right, to God, to the Lord, to Jesus Christ. That product is in God's hands. We need our counselees to realize that there's something they're aiming for, praying for, hoping for, but not able to produce. So they have the, it's the difference between responsibility and ability. They're not synonymous. We are responsible to raise our children in the, in the instruction of the Lord to see him as all good, all wise, as a wonderful, wonderful, the altogether lovely one, which is what scripture calls him, because that's what he is. But with that, we can't make them see that. It's our job to put that on display, and we hope and we pray that they embrace that and carry that with them all their days. But responsibility is not the same as ability. A man robs a bank. He has the money. He then takes it 100 miles down the road and gives it to an accomplice who now has the money. Man number two has the money. Is man number one responsible for the money he stole? Yes or no? Yes. It's a little early. It's like, wait a minute. What? Bank? Wait, do I owe money? What? Wait a minute. I don't know. Is man number one responsible for the money he stole? Is he able to return it? No. He gave it away. He's no longer able to return it. He is still responsible. If caught, he will still pay the price for having stolen the money. He does not have the ability. Responsibility is not synonymous with ability. We as parents are responsible to please the Lord in our parenting. We want our counselees to understand that that responsibility is ours and the ability is God's. So we strive to please the Lord in the process of our parenting. That Elise Fitzpatrick and Jim Neuheiser book, When Good Kids Make Bad Choices, we've quoted that a couple of times, and you'll see that in your outline. Uh, it says, the biblical answer to this question is no, regarding whether or not there are any foolproof methods of child-rearing. There are no foolproof methods of parenting. That's because there are other factors that work in our children's lives, and because none of us ever perfectly parent our children. Um, so discipline alone will not bring a child to maturity. Hey, Zach, I can't see the rear projection. Can you get that on? Thanks, man. Discipline alone will not bring a child to maturity. So this is not just one thing that if we just get this thing down, children will be mature. If we just get this one thing down, it will bring about maturity in the lives of our children. That's not the case. Uh, In Withhold Not Correction, Bruce Ray says this, The Christian is called to live out every aspect of his life in obedience to the revealed will of God. This means that God who gives us children has in his word also told us how... We should regard the children he has given to us and how we should bring them up in a way that will please him. But the goal is for me to then look at those hows and then carry out that process in a way that pleases the Lord between me and God. I have a goal in pleasing the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I don't owe God anything. Uh, I I don't. don't. Don't get uncomfortable and say I owe God nothing because that nullifies grace. Jesus paid it most. Isn't that how the hymn goes? All. And the next line really should be none to him I owe. Not many people, I know, I've just, I've just meddled with a hymn early on a Saturday morning. <laughs> if Jesus paid it all, I owe him nothing. So I don't owe God anything. I don't live a life of transaction. I live a life of transformation. God has changed my life 
So I long to please him. I'm not trying to pay him back. What could I do to pay him back? Think of how silly it sounds. Because you sacrificed your son on the cross, I'm going to have a daily quiet time. Sure, that's like the same thing. right? I mean, that's no, nowhere near it. So we don't even try to compare these things to what Jesus has done for us. We're not trying to pay him back. God doesn't want me to pay him back. He wants me to live live, a life that is pleasing to him because he loves me. Because he loves me. Just the same reason why I want to have a good relationship with my kids. It's not because I want them to pay me back. They really couldn't pay me back. They can't. What can my kids do to pay me back for what I'm doing to provide for them? They can't pay me back. So let's chuck transaction language aside. And let's talk about the transformation the Lord has done in our lives. And that we want to see the Lord do in our children's lives. Some of you are still really hung up that I meddled with the hymn. I'm really sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Okay, next. Uh, obey God's, obeying God's commands to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Uh, I skipped a quote. Oh, it's the John MacArthur quote in there. Certainly both manners and discipline are necessary aspects of proper parenting, but teaching our kids manners is no solution to the problem of human depravity. Tacking on punishment for wrongdoing won't solve the problem either. In fact... Parents who concentrate all their energies on correcting external behavior or staving off misbehavior with threats of discipline may be doing little more than training hypocrites. Ouch. Say ouch. Ouch. Yeah, because that kind of hurts. Because I'm sure if you're a parent at all, you've that one of the things that he's just said, you have done at some point or another in some way, shape, or form. So we want to obey God's command to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord, and we want to develop a biblical mindset to discipline. And oftentimes, remember, this is not solely a, this really isn't chiefly a parenting conference, it's a counseling conference, so we're, we're covering things that you might find in broad brushstrokes when it comes to the counselees that are coming to you with a parenting issue. Sometimes they could be in one of the ditches of, instead of being God-centered, what's one ditch? They could be centered on the child, or they could be centered on the parent, right? They could be centered on them, which in essence would be themselves. And they want to be God-centered. Uh, sometimes it could be a failure to or an, uh, a lack of appreciation for what the Lord has called us to do in teaching our children. Remember that chart we showed yesterday of discipline and teaching. And now we're looking at discipline, okay? Because sometimes there's parent-centered, child-centered. Sometimes there's a, a failure to teach. And sometimes there's a misunderstanding of discipline. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, developing a biblical mindset to Discipline. There is a biblical foundation for for, for discipline, that should say disciplining, disciplining children. And it's Deuteronomy uh, 8, verses 5 through 6 is one of them. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Here's another quote by John MacArthur. The ultimate goal and proper focus of biblical parenting is redemptive. Okay, just look at that one line. The ultimate goal and proper focus of biblical parenting is redemptive. Do you redeem something that is good or do you redeem something that is bad or off? You redeem something that is bad or off. We receive that which is good. We reject that which is bad. God and his mercy and grace can help us redeem something to be used for usefulness in his kingdom that ordinarily by itself would be useless. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Is death good or bad? Curveball. No, bad. Death is 
death, death bad, right? It's the result of the fall. It's, it's the punishment for straying from God's commands. Death is bad. God redeemed that because as the result of that death, I then go free and Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Jesus really died. God redeemed that. That would have been terrible if death had victory. That would have been terrible if Jesus had a grave that we could visit. It would be really bad if we had a Mecca. But we don't. And that's the beauty of it. Because God has redeemed that which would be lost. Redeemed that which would be terrible. There is a biblical foundation for discipling children. And what John MacArthur says here is the ultimate goal and proper focus of biblical parenting is redemptive. We realize our children come into the world with sin. Right? Psalm 51, David says, In sin my mother conceived me. Okay, we know that our hearts are sinful from the get-go. We just have that in our hearts. That's something we have from our parents, Adam and Eve. Parents are responsible to lead their children to Christ, the quote goes on to say. As we have emphasized previously, parents are not capable of guaranteeing their children's conversion. Parents can obtain salvation on their children's behalf, but from the time children are born until there is fruit that indicates they have been born again... Parents are in the role of evangelists, constantly pointing and urging their children toward Christ, who alone can remedy the heart problems that cause them to love unrighteousness. Okay? It is redemptive. Okay? It's also loving. Okay? It's a very unloving thing to not discipline our children. Okay? The Bible says, he who spares the rod hates his son. Even though in our mindset, uh, in our mindset sometimes to discipline children, whether that means to discipline them corporally or to discipline them otherwise, to discipline our children can feel mean or seem that it is not right. We read yesterday a verse in Proverbs that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it produces what? That which death, right? That which can seem so right can really be so wrong, okay? Look at 1 Samuel 3 in your outline, verse 13. For I have told him that I know that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did what? Not rebuke them. So God doesn't hold him in esteem for foregoing discipline. 1 Samuel 4, 17. Then the one who brought the news replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has also been a great slaughter among the people and your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been taken. It is not a loving thing to withhold discipline from children. This has always been the case, okay? The Bible predates any blog, any, any, any parenting so-called expert, any counseling conference. It has always been the case that to withhold discipline from children is not a loving thing. But you have to understand that your counselees are coming into the counseling room with presuppositions, they're coming into the counseling room and their worldview has been informed by things. What are some of the things that counselees are bringing to you that you think could inform their view of parenting? Talk to me. Let's get the blood flowing. What might be affecting, apart from scripture, okay, so we're looking at extra biblical things that could affect their view of how they're parenting their children and their view of discipline. Let's think like good biblical counselors and tell me, what are some things that could affect? Yes. Okay, abuse. So as children, perhaps they were abused. Perhaps the thought of any discipline for their children 
brings to their mind something really, really scary, sad, and terrible memories. And they thought, you know what? If there's one thing I'm not going to do, I'm not going to even come close to giving my children the experience that I had with a heavy-handed parent in the form of abuse. So we want to approach these things compassionately. I'm really glad you said that and that we started off that way. Well, no, well, they just don't know their Bibles, and if they just know their Bibles, and they'll discipline their kids, and if they just discipline their kids, and then... You don't want to do that. You don't know what the person is bringing to the table. If you're committed to doing what as a counselor? Listening to asking good questions and to saying the three most awesome words, which are? Help me. You got to... Oh, I can't move my fingers that fast. Okay. Help me understand. We might hear, oh... This isn't somebody who doesn't love God and who is way liberal in his word and who just thinks that his word doesn't apply. This person might be coming to us with a a real heartfelt conviction to not do these things because of how they've been treated. How sad that because of what this person has gone through, they have in, in essence said, I know the Bible says, but. And because of my experience, uh, I see this as a bad thing. So we don't just spank their hand and say, no, that's bad. That's not what the Bible says. Read this, memorize this, and call me in the morning. We listen with compassion because it could be coming from a heart or a background of abuse. What else? Hand was up. Yes. Okay, it could be a mentality that people in general or kids are intrinsically good or maybe just neutral, right? So neutral or good, blank slate or awesome slate. That as they enter the world, they're just intrinsically good. So I'm, I don't know if my kid's going to need discipline uh, to one degree or another because we haven't seen the fruit of their actions yet, which means the child's in utero. No, but, but we, haven't, we don't know which way this, this can go. So I think my, my child is just intrinsically awesome, so I may not have to do that. Anything else? What else could be informing a parent as they enter the counseling room? Yeah. Yeah, other well-meaning, thank you for saying that, not just other people, right? Other well-meaning parents, other parents who have the best of intentions, who say, yeah, I I know you've been told this, but here's here's what what we do. I know you've been told this, but, and perhaps it's a combination of all these things. I know you've been told this, but I know how I felt when my parents did that, and they went way overboard, and quite frankly, I think little Johnny enters the world, and he's a blank slate, and I don't want to, or he's, he's just good, and he's not, he's not going to need these things. So listen, I know you think this, but I think you should do that. Other well-meaning parents. The vast majority of the time, you're going to get a counselee. They're coming into the room, and they've been informed by other people. It's, many times, it's well-intended. So we don't want to just come out in attack mode and following through with the elbow immediately. We want to hear what's going on in their hearts and in their minds. Maybe a couple of other things. What else could be informing their worldview as they enter? Yes. Okay, a school medical diagnosis. I would do this, but Susie has that. So I know that in, as far as behavior is concerned, um, it looks like this, but I've had a professional, um, a, a doctor or a, a professional counselor, maybe someone from, you said school, tell me that that's not really what it seems to be. It's actually the fruit of, and then they list a disease or a disorder or something that is called a disease and a disorder. And so as parents, they say, "Uh, I don't spank my kids when they have the flu. That sounds mean. So if they have something, I'm not going to discipline them for acting in that way. They have something. Excellent. 
Great answers, yes. What's that? Right, so she said, the law, okay, maybe there's a legitimate concern over the law and what it could result in if you carry out discipline with your children. And we are talking about, um, we are talking about physical discipline, but also not limiting it to dis physical discipline. But the law, right, what will the law do? What will, what will uh, the sheriff do? What will somebody do if they see me doing this or hear of me doing this and they report me? What will, what will happen? Okay, because this is just a crazy day in age, and that's, um, that's a legitimate thing to look into. Um, I don't want to make light of that, but there's also fear-mongering. So there's, there's, there's two sides. There is a very real concern. We should look into that, but let's just not go too far into one side. Let's have a biblical uh, understanding of what our calling is to do before God and the law, and let's look into what the law actually is. But it is a legitimate concern. Somebody could say, I would do this, but I think if I do this once, I will go to jail. Or if somebody ever hears this, I will go to jail. Or if Johnny mentioned this to my neighbor, I'm going to go to jail. And I feel like I'd be a better parent on this side of jail than on that side. Yes, uh, there's another hand up. Okay, we'll do two more. Nicole and then the gentleman in front of you. Guilt over past parenting failures. So as a parent... So you're guilty? Okay, so guilt over past parenting failures personally. Who am I to do this? I kind of, I, I messed it up here and here and here, so I'm going to give them a buy here and here. I'm going to give them, because um, it, kind of, it kind of helps to make up for my messing up here, here, and here. Which, once again, is that transformational or transactional thinking? Super transactional, right? It's, well, I, I messed up here, so I've got to balance it out here. But yes, that's how people can think. That's how we can easily think. So much of life is that, right? Good. Next. Yeah. A lack of discipline in their life. That's very, very true. Um, maybe that there are areas in their life that are not as disciplined as they're calling their children to be, so they feel like a what? They feel like a hypocrite, we already covered in past sessions what, how, how children respond to hypocrisy. So if we just avoid the whole thing altogether, at least we won't be hypocritical. We'll all be undisciplined together. Okay, um, let's move on. Great, great, great answers. Um, it's helpful, okay? Proverbs 22 verse 15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Proverbs 23 verses 13 and following says, Do not hold back discipline from the child, Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. I love um, the clarity with which the word of God is written. And God knows exactly what we might be fearing. If you strike, chill out. You're not going to kill him. Okay? You're not gonna, if you strike him with the rod, he's not going to automatically die. Okay? In fact, in doing so, you could provide something way better for him than withholding it could ever do. Um, it's modeled by the Lord as he corrects those he loves for their benefit, okay? Um, where are we? Hebrews chapter 12. No, I'm sorry, Habakkuk. Um, I'd like to go to Hebrews 12. Why is that not in your... Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. It should be in the outline, but it's not. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12.
Hebrews chapter 12. Let's uh, start in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord and see to that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many may become defiled. Discipline here is presented in a real positive light because it's what God does for us. I seek to discipline my children. I don't discipline their children. Why don't I discipline their children? Because they're their children. When God disciplines me, he shows me I'm his what? I'm his son. I'm his child, right? That's what it says in Hebrews 12. We just said, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Uh, Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. It's because he's my father and I'm his child that the Lord disciplines me. How many of you have been walking with the Lord long enough that you know in some way, shape, or form, the Lord got your attention and brought about discipline in your life that set you on a straighter and narrower path? How many of you are thankful for the Lord's discipline? So am I. Really, really thankful. Because he treats me as sons. He treats me as a son. He treats us as sons. This is a loving thing. Despite the fact that the world would tell us it's unloving, this is a loving thing. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering... Uh, partly by being made a public spectacle through approaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharer with those who were so treated. Biblical discipline stands in contrast to the false ideas about discipline in general, um, that it doesn't work, it's only punitive, okay? It doesn't do anything in the heart. It's just, it just takes care of something right in the moment. It doesn't work. Uh, children turn out badly. It's not productive. That's not true. Uh, or it's not true at least just because of following the Bible in this one area. I'm not saying children can't turn out badly, but remember, the product is not up to me entirely or primarily. The product is up to the Lord. It promotes violence. It's unloving. It's actually not true at all. Um, my children do not... Uh, do not um, yeah, I, can, I 
can say this with a good amount of certainty. My children do not associate corporal uh, punishment or discipline with the same hitting that they do with one another. It's, it's in two different categories. It's in two different categories, but that, has to, that comes as a result of, by God's grace, the way it's carried out. It's a, you, hit your, you hit your brother, I'm going to hit you. That would be putting it on the same level as, as what they're doing. But it's supposed to be seen as something loving but necessary, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, it warps their personality. It hinders their potential. These are things that you hear, and we could go on and on and on and on about things that um, secular humanists would tell us um, the Bible says this, but it really, really produces that, or it's unhelpful in this way. Um, it's pretty, um, yeah, I'll say, so on the one hand, you have people who say that if you do this to a child, it's going to harm them. So many times, those are the same people who would have killed the child in the womb. Okay, now, I don't, that's not for shock value. I'm just saying you have to understand the inconsistency in thinking here, that it's not coming out of a philosophy of, of logical thinking, and it's just, oh, they're logical, but we're faithful. We're not called to be logical. We're called to be a little idiotic, but we love Jesus. It's, it's, that's, not, that's not what Christians are called to be. The Bible makes a lot of sense. We'll always need faith. Faith is a gift that's given to us by God, but don't be so uh, intimidated, and our counselors ought not be so intimidated by people who have letters after their names or a lab coat who tell us one thing, when in reality there's usually a cognitive dissonance somewhere along the lines that can be found pretty easily if you dig deep enough. So lots of times, um, this is some of the lies that the world will tell people about what the Bible says in general, but particularly in this area, but it's simply not true. There are reasons why some efforts for discipline are not effective, okay? So we're not saying that just if you do this, it's going to be effective. Let's take a look at them. First, it could be that the child was disciplined in uncontrolled anger, okay? Uncontrolled anger. Uh, if this is physical discipline that's happening, this could result in uh, a very harmful experience bordering on or going even into the realm of abuse. Or it could be verbal, right? And there's uncontrolled anger that's really hurting the child's heart because, the, because uh, Johnny did something that was wrong, but now we're just unloading on Johnny and saying, how could you do that? How could you do that? How could you do that? Or calling names or, I mean, all the things that anger brings out which we'll talk about later on today, if it's uncontrolled anger, it's not going to make the discipline effective. James 1 and verse 20 is a very, very, very helpful verse for me in life and in parenting. For the anger of man uh, does not achieve the righteousness of God, or the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, is how I have it memorized. There are many times where I, <laughs> I say, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, but it's going to help this time. It's really not. That's in no footnote. That's not in the Greek. It doesn't. Yeah, but it'll really get their attention. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But it might a little. It, it doesn't. And so many times, yeah, but, yeah, but. So remember, we don't want our counselees to ever think, yeah, the Bible says, but. We also don't want the counselor to think that either. And I do. Because many times my ways feel or seem so right to me, but I have to constantly take them back and check them against the ways of the Lord. The child was disciplined because of the wrong goals. Okay? The wrong goals. What, the, what might the wrong goals be? Let's talk about some possible wrong goals. The parent doesn't want to be embarrassed. Very good. 
Okay, disciplining out of, let's say uh, somebody has done, so, so we went through a time with one of our kids, um, they um, were just, our, our kids for the most part are, are well behaved, um, but if your marriage and life is anything like mine, um, the biggest issues happen when I'm either on my way to work, on my way to church, or on my way to bed. Those super convenient times, right? On my way to work, on my way to church, or on my way to bed. And there is something that was, we were going through with one of our children where every Sunday, call it spiritual or call it he's just super consistent. I don't know. Every Sunday, dropping him off in Sunday school was just, I mean, beyond, it just wasn't, it just wasn't happening. And the the, the, the fit that was pitched, and, and this was happening when we were brand new to the church, this church, so we had just moved here, people hardly know us, I, um, I'm filling a role as a pastor on church, there's so many reasons for me to be tempted to say, this is, this is just super embarrassing, we, we need to, the reason, why are we disciplining him? Because we can't be embarrassed, we, we don't want to be embarrassed, now we don't want to put off the impression that we're perfect, but we also want to put off the impression that it's, we really don't have a child, we have a pet. So, so we, there's got to be something, I don't know, a choke collar or something, maybe the electric thing. We've got to do something. And if my goal is to not be embarrassed, I'm not going to discipline and raise my child properly. Because it's not going to be, I want to reach your heart. It's going to be, you're making me look bad. And that's going to come out of a heart of anger. Excellent. And other wrong motives, wrong goals for discipline, what might they be? Yes. Okay, try to live vicariously through your child. I never had this, so I want you to have this. Uh, I never, nobody cared enough to do this for me, so I'm going to do it this way. Or somebody did this, maybe you brought up abuse before. Somebody did this in an abusive way to me before. I'm not going to throw it all out, but I'm going to do it in, in a way that's not abusive. You know, there's this goal that even seems right to do it not abusive, but still the ultimate goal is to bring glory to God. And anything that distracts us from glory to God, even if it's a good thing, becomes a bad thing and an idol. Very good. One or two more. Wrong goals. In the back. Say that again. The goals are beyond the child's ability. Um, okay, so I'm calling my child to do something that he just can't do at the age of X. Is that, is that what you mean? Okay, I see. Right, so you get a certain grade. He said if you got a C in math, but nothing but an A or maybe even an A plus is acceptable. So it's the mentality of, I'm really glad you got a 92. Question, what happened to the other eight points? So instead of, um, it's, it's calling them to a, a task that um, perhaps is beyond their ability, or even it's within their ability, but it's, I, I don't need to call them to that task every single time. Excellent, excellent answers. Wrong goals. What should the right goals be? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's our goal. Our goal is to glorify God in the disciplining of our children. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Maybe the child was disciplined without love. Okay? 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you have not love, you what? Right? You're like a clanging gong or cymbal. It's, it's, you're basically useless without love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So there needs to be love in our process of discipline. Whatever that discipline might be, there needs to be 
love. Now, that doesn't mean when, if the child were to look at you and say, you don't love me, you say, woe is me, for I am not loving. Okay, it's going to have to, they're going to have to interpret it as loving as well. But you, you do your best to show love in how you discipline. Um, the child was disciplined without teaching. Okay, so we have this really strong, don't do that, but there's not, here's what you are supposed to do. Is your hand up in the back? Okay. The question is, where's the balance between showing love and showing mercy? What I'm going to do is get through the content and ask you to remember to hold on to that, because that's, that's a very good question, um, but I could really, <laughs> I could, yeah, we could, I'm just not mature enough to not chase that rabbit. I would love to talk about that. So let's chase that rabbit when we're done. But it's a really good question. Thank you for raising that. So hold on to that. Okay, the child could be disciplined without teaching. So it's just a very strong no, but not yes. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, but also for correction and for training. So doctrine is teaching. Reproof is this is where you're off. Correction is this is how you can be right. Training is this is how you can do it on an ongoing basis. So we don't want to just say, you have sinned. We want to say, this is wrong, and look, this is right. This is bad. This is so much better. So discipline without teaching, discipline without direction is drudgery. That's a uh, Don Whitney quote. Discipline without direction is drudgery. We need to give our children direction, not just discipline. No, this is where you're wrong. You're going to have a consequence because you're wrong. It's also, this is what you need to do. Otherwise, you're basically saying, this was wrong. Uh, process of elimination. You'll get it right eventually. Just, just keep on trying. Oh, that was wrong again. Oh, we're, we're down two. This, point them to something. Point them to something. Um, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. We need to remember the relationship between discipline and instruction. You remember this, this chart from yesterday. Okay, there needs to be both. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them, but raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not one without the other. And one without the other is going to yield a fruit that we're not shooting for, or at least not going to give. Look, I just got product-centered. See what I just said? I should step down. Does anybody want to take over? It's going to point them in a direction that we're not going for. Okay, if we're heavy discipline, it's just like do or die. If we're only instruction, we're hoping that they're going to figure out when they're wrong on their own because they just look at instruction, and they need both. It's a most loving thing to do both. So that they are, they are raised in discipline and instruction. Okay? Or uh, I think Old King James, I think it's fear and admonition of the Lord. Okay? They need to be both. Both. Um, we're not going to take some time to look at that because we looked at that chart yesterday. Okay. So the steps to godly discipline of children. Let's look at that. We want, um, we, I, I want my child to accept responsibility personally for what he or she has done. I want them to own it. I want them to understand it. I don't want them to see themselves as a, a victim of circumstance. I don't want them to see themselves as, oh, it just happened, you know, it's, I'm just under, oh, it's just, I'm under so much stress and what with all the, you know, Brexit and everything that's just informing my children and how they think. 
it, I don't want them to be so easily distracted by the, from their responsibility. With that, I'll tell you something I say now that I never would have said earlier on in parenting. There are other factors to take into play. What does the term hangry mean? What does the term hangry mean? It's a combination of two words. Say it. Hungry and angry, right? I'm less than awesome as a human being when my blood sugar's low. It's, it's true. I'm like, a, I'm like a child. Like all of a sudden things, I, not every time, but just sometimes Sarah and I will look at each other and we'll be like, why are we so, I feel like we're more emotional right now or quicker to respond to certain things. And we'll say the same things that we have to say to our kids. We'll say, we kind of work straight through lunch today. When did, when did we eat last? We either, we either need something to eat or maybe a nap or a diaper change. That's coming. That's later on down the road. But, but it, it's, why is that? It's not acceptable, but it's a thing, right? It's a thing. We're not going to excuse sin. So let's say Sarah said something to me and I lashed back at her and then, uh, or I said something to her and she took it really personally and it really wasn't, it really wasn't personal at all, which has happened before. And she'll say, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just so emotional. Okay, so is it true that she's emotional? Yes. Did she still own what she did? Yes. So it's not like, we're not going to say, I know you're emotional, I know you're feeling this way, I know that you, you feel off, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't count. It doesn't excuse, but it matters. Right? We don't want to ditch compassion and all of a sudden say, oh, wow, you know, that's, that's a real thing you're going through. Oh, you're not, you're not feeling well. You know, oh, you're, you're yeah, we haven't, even, we haven't even eaten. We've been working at it all day. We've been out in the yard doing work all day. Here it is, 3 o'clock. We haven't eaten a thing since 7 this morning or 8 this morning. No wonder we're kind of nipping at each other's heels. So I want my kids to accept the responsibility personally, but I also want to realize, okay, what factors might be contributing to the fact that they're acting the way that they are? Does, does that make sense? There was a day and age where I would have never said that and said, you're just excusing it, you're excusing it. I'm not excusing, I'm gathering data. I'm gathering information. Okay, it's wrong that you just set the house on fire, but what, that's a bit extreme. It, it's, it's wrong, yeah, that's, that's probably, yeah, let's just forget I said that. It, it's wrong that you acted out in the way that you did, but I wonder what's also at play here, particularly if it's a pattern. Okay, um, I think that when... Uh, Justin was going through that difficult season when we had just moved here. I think he had slept under a ton of different ceilings in the past, I don't know how many weeks or months, and this is now a new home for him, and the way he is acting is not excusable. But I also think, looking back, we probably weren't super compassionate, just like, this is hard. I was like, eh, he's a kid. He had the same crib in New York. He'll have the same crib here. He'll be fine. And we meant well, but let's also say, wow, this is hard. This, pro- this is probably really, this is really hard for him. He's away from family. He's away from familiar things. Does that mean, let's let, him, let's let him act out and kind of, you know, spin on the floor in a puddle of his own urine. Let's, let's just let him do that. And no, we don't want to do that. Sorry, a little graphic. But we don't want him to do that. But I don't think we're as compassionate as we could have been. Does that make sense? I'm not saying I, we should have withheld discipline. I bet you we would have done it a little differently if we were like, this is hard. Let's correct him, but this is hard. We would have prayed differently if we acknowledged those things. All that to say, I want them to accept responsibility 
personally and also want to do that compassionately. Um, that's going to take time. Um, it's going to be challenging, and it's going to require dependence on the Lord. Okay, so we need to be praying about that. The discipline process that we help parents with in counseling is not a get-or-done mentality. There's much faster ways to deal with issues. Much faster. Less effective, less biblical. But when we want to match up discipline and teaching in that chart, this takes time. This takes time. It takes consistency. It's going to be challenging. And it's going to require a constant dependence on the Lord because I'm responsible, but he is able. I'm not able. Um, I need to communicate my expectations uh, clearly. So in, in, in principle, we teach first, we discipline second. So uh, discipline is never done in our home um, for the first time somebody has done something wrong and didn't know it was wrong. Discipline is only done for outright disobedience and rebellion. Does that make sense? Okay, so, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example. My daughter, meaning well, <laughs> takes Silas and carries him around by like his arm. Let's make believe she was doing that. That could really, really hurt him. Uh, but she means well, and she wanted to carry him by his arm from one room to... This never happened. She's not above this by any, by, by any means. But let's just say she carried... And it's like, oh my gosh, no, you don't... That's not how we carry... You know, and there's Silas just hanging there. That's not how we carry a, that's not how we carry a child. But I want to carry him. Yeah, but that's not, that's not healthy. That's not safe. You're too little to carry him if you want him to be... If you want to go, well, I really want to move him, and I want to be mommy. I want to do this. You can't do that. I understand you want to do that. You can't do that. Okay, now she understands, right? We didn't, we didn't discipline her immediately. We corrected. Does that make sense? She didn't know what she did was wrong. Which, was she well-intended? I think. There's a little gleam in her eye. But, but yeah, but she's probably well-intended as, you know, if she were to carry him into a room. And now she knows. She knows. I know she's sharp as a tack. I know that now she's been told and she understands what she is to do and what she is not to do. When she does it next time and she looks, and she looks at me like this, That's disobedience. That's not, oh, I thought maybe I could hold him by the other arm, right? That, that's, or what about the leg? Like, were we not clear? We were clear. Now we deal with it differently, okay? We might go back and clarify it one last time. If I think for some reason I was unclear, I'm a pretty clear communicator. It doesn't happen often that we go back and clarify because I know my kid got it. But... We teach first, we discipline second. I also want to assume in this case that my child's motives were pure, just unwise. Good motive, just kind of dumb and unhelpful because there's arms and sockets that she can't appreciate. So teach first and discipline second. That never even happened, but it's probably a pretty good example. Uh, we want to make a ru appropriate rules that are reasonable, definable, enforceable, and biblical. Reasonable. You're going to have to think through that. Your counselor is going to have to think through that. And God has brought you into your counselor's life to tell them, if you think something is unreasonable, I would challenge you as a counselor to think about maybe, unless it's 
completely heinous, and you're just like, that's probably not what we would do in our home. Um, depending on your level of, of comfort and the, uh, the relationship you have with that counselee, how long you've been with them, you might tell them right then and there, I don't know that what you're asking is reasonable, that that rule is reasonable. Or you know what you might do? You might, if you're counseling alone, uh, you might, and you happen to be married, you might think about it, kind of make a note to yourself, pray about it, ask your spouse, or ask another trusted person. There's ways to get information with counseling without revealing everything in counseling. So I had this counseling case recently where the person said such and such. It just seems, does that seem unreasonable? This is, just help me, help me. Under, help me understand. Help me understand how you would go about this and, and get some counsel from people and then go back to the person and say, I don't know if what you're wanting is, is reasonable. Well, it's my home. I know. I'm just, I'm not calling to question whether it's your home. I'm calling to question whether you're reasonable. Um, definable. So there's no, let's guess what daddy's thinking, right? Nobody likes to play that. Do you like to play that at work? Let's guess what my boss is thinking. No. You don't like to play that in marriage? Let's guess what he or she is thinking? No. This should be definable so that the children know what they're being called to. These are the, these are the rules. Either definable from Scripture, or as Tracy called out last night, or just definable as house rules. So, thus saith the Lord, or thus saith the dad. But thus saith the dad, we're going to hold in the same regard as thus saith the Lord. So we can either show them in Scripture, this is what God says, or we could say, this is what mom and dad have said that we want for our home. Um, that they're enforceable. Okay, these are things we can actually enforce and carry out and say uh, there's perhaps a reward or a consequence if they're followed or not followed, and that they're biblical, okay? They're biblical. And that's important for our counselees to consider. Is what I'm calling my children to biblical, um, at least in principle? So my house rules still should be, in some way, shape, or form, tied into some kind of biblical principle, some kind of biblical principle. Um, God seems to be a God of order, um, contrary to popular belief that people would think that there would be an explosion that would bring about order, right, in, in, in evolution or in the beginning of things. God created things with order. So we think that God, uh, we don't think God is type A, <laughs> but we think that God appreciates order and that we function better in a world of order and God created things orderly. So let's do our best to Keep our house orderly. You say, well, that's a real stretch. Yeah, I'm not exegeting the passage. I'm just saying there's a principle of order given to us by God. So for me to say, hey, let's clean your room, that's not unbiblical or me being, that's just because I'm that way. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. But for me saying that they need to whitewash the walls once a week, that's probably a bit much. Right? And I have to realize and look for that in my counselees, say, okay, there is a point where you want your kids to keep their room clean, but I think there's also a point where you want your home to be a museum. And I think God's called you to be a parent, not a curator. So say it more lovingly than that. This is just the counseling conference. So you're looking for extremes. You're looking for where somebody is, what I like to say, canonizing their convictions. Okay, their own personal opinions. They're now saying, yeah, but, but I'm raising this to the level of Scripture, and this is this is do or die. This is, this is I'm going to enforce this. Is it biblical? Can you find some sort of biblical principle? Which is how I was raised. Ha-ha! Then that might be biblical or it might not be biblical. It's just what I want. Ah! Okay. That might be biblical. That might not be biblical. Let's not canonize our 
convictions. There's many times I've had to say there is no third Peter in the Bible. I got a draft, though, man. I'd love to. Anyway, no. All right. Uh, ensure the discipline fits the offense. Okay? Ensure the discipline fits the offense. Establish appropriate rewards and correction as part of the discipline process. Okay? So it's going to be more immediate for a small child, but we're going to focus on a daily habit that needs changing and recognize that each child will respond differently. Okay? So more immediate for a small child and focus on a daily habit that needs changing. So Silas, who is uh, three, he is not... We speak to him. Um, we speak to him more now. Oh, no, no. Let me, let me back up. We've always spoken to the child. <laughs> okay? <laughs> We've just started speaking to him. It's been grand. No. We, 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 but in times of correction, when he goes up to um, an outlet and pulls out a wire, okay, and then is going to um, put his fingers in, which I don't think kids can really fit their fingers in there. But anyway, I, I, it's probably still should be corrected. But I've always said, I think they're too pudgy. But anyway, if he pulls out a wire and then is going to put his fingers on it, we don't um, talk to him about that from the other end of the room. Son, Silas, let's not do that. No, we move over there and move his hand away because he could hurt himself, even though his fingers are pudgy. He probably could hurt himself. Could stick a key in there and it could send him flying across the room. He could hurt himself. It's for his own good. And he also is not, he's not at a reasonable age. He's not going to reason with me. He just needs to know, oh, wrong. I do this, this wrong. Um, there's pain that follows this. And that pain is, I don't want him to experience the pain of the outlet. I want him to experience the pain of the discipline so he doesn't experience the pain of the outlet. So that's more immediate for a small child. Um, but maybe there, with children that are older, there's a daily habit that needs to be changed or a routine that they need to develop. And this is especially helpful for children as they get older. We could say, buddy, let's put something in place that will just help you from not falling into this ditch. Or let's put something in place that will help you to remember to do this. Um, and we also need to recognize that each child will respond differently. Okay? I have four kids and all of them respond very, very differently. Uh, much to my dismay. It would be so nice if we could just like, this is the LaRufa way of doing, and you're LaRufa, so you'll all respond this way. That's just not the case. That's not the case. Uh, Justin is alpha male, um, kind of pretty type A, driven, responds well to drawing the lines in the sand, and he knows where the lines are. He's a, he's a rule follower, and if you can set out, that doesn't, that doesn't mean he's perfect. I'm just saying he responds well to... Um, Yeses and nos. The downside, he could be very black and white, and we live in a world of a lot of gray. He doesn't show a lot of mercy to his siblings, and we work on that with him. We work on that with him. But he responds pretty well to, these are the boundary lines, and as long as they're defined, and he responds pretty well to um, a consequence. And the, the, the idea of consequences and logic is, works well for him. Uh, Jonathan? Jonathan... I have a picture of Jonathan in the bassinet. He is, this is minutes after he's been delivered. I kid you not, he's like this. <laughs> not kidding. He's still to this day, he's almost 10, he still sleeps like this. This is how he defaults to sleeping. His little hands, his hands go in the back, okay? But this is not just a sleeping position. I want you to see this as an M.O., dude, okay? This is, this is like love, peace, and hair grease, man. He's, 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 there's... 
there's not a sense of, of, of urgency in the child's life. There, there's, it's just, it, everything's just pretty chill. And he's our peacemaker, and he's the, guys, 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 he's, he's, he likes to talk folksy. He, he's, he's our older soul. He's awesome. This little glasses, we, we, we love him. But for, he's also, and here's the other thing, he's, he's, in my estimation, he's tougher than Justin. He's just, he, he, he's tougher. If, if Jonathan's crying over something, he's upset or he is hurt. If Justin's crying over something, it's just the day of the week that ends in a Y. If Jonathan is crying over something, it's like, whoa. Because he doesn't, he doesn't cry really easy, but he's still very sensitive. He's still very sentimental. He responds to discipline differently. We discipline them both. But for Justin, it's very, it's pretty transactional. What did I do? What's it going to cost? How fast can we get it over with? He's very, he's like that. With Jonathan, and with Jonathan, it's the idea of it. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not the physical pain of it, and it's not if he wants to know if we're gonna, if we're gonna spank him, which we'll get into in a minute. It's not, oh my gosh, how many? It's, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get spanked. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe I'm gonna get spanked. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna get spanked. Spanking happens. Oh my gosh, I was just spanked. I can't believe I was actually spanked. I did something to get, how many times you spanked? I don't know, two, 20? I don't know. It's, oh my gosh, it's the idea. Do you see what I mean? It's the emotion. So the way I approach Jonathan um, when it comes to discipline can I teach and reason with Jonathan before the spanking? Not effectively. Can I do that with Justin? Yeah. Because he thinks and reasons through that. And, um, and he's older now. But I mean, even when they were younger, jo- Justin was not as fearful of, oh, he wasn't, oh my gosh, I'm like, he wasn't as emotionally into it. So we can think through it. Now, the child cries. Okay, he's not a robot. I'm just saying he's not as emotionally charged. So I can talk to him and get some ground with him. With Jonathan, no, we gotta, it's just not going to happen. Ain't nobody got time for that. So we're going to have to deal out, deal out the discipline, and then afterwards, a lot of love, and then we can talk. But before that, just the thought of maybe being disciplined, and just the thought that it actually happens, we, ah, we've got to do that. We've got to go, ah, and if I make the mistake of trying to teach during this, it's just not going to happen. No, I have the right to. I'm his dad. Yeah, I know. You have the right to. I'm also, God's also called me to not be like an idiot. And I, and I know that, that if I talk over here, it's not going to be helpful. So let's get through this and let's talk. That takes what? Yeah. It takes time. And if I cookie cutter discipline my kids, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be probably more effective with one than I am the other. So each child will respond differently. Each child will respond differently. And then there's Silas, who's tough as nails. This kid, man, where did you come from? He's, 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 he's awesome, but he's like the Hulk. Like, like super one or super the other. Like he's super, super happy. Or he's like, yeah, daddy. And then the other side, he's just like, die. Like there's just, there's like no middle ground with this kid. He's so extreme. And it's. It's, it's, I mean, it's actually a lot of fun. It just has taken us by, it's, we all, the, like, we all sit around, we're like, all five of us are like, we think he's the cutest of the kids. We've told the kids that. <laughs> I mean, it, you just can't deny it. You line him up. And the kids are like, I mean, that kid's pretty stinking cute. He's pretty round and pudgy, but wow, like, he's just the Hulk. All right, we've got to move on. Um, uh, here's what we're going to do in the time that we have. 
Okay, so there is uh, something, I think, in your outline. Do you have a behavior contract? Okay. Listen to me. That is a tool. A tool. I've used it in counseling. It's been very, very effective. I've also used it in counseling. It's tanked. It's a tool that may work in a counseling situation. We give that to you as a tool that you might want to consider, okay? But a hammer isn't helpful if you need a screwdriver. So it's a tool. Put it in your toolbox, and it's, uh, it's, it's based on, on consequences and setting up a reward and a consequence uh, a system that is very, very helpful for uh, children who may need that reinforced in their lives. But it doesn't always work. Remember, it doesn't, it's the, this is a tool you would suggest to parents and maybe help them in coming up with and saying, okay, here's what's expected. If we do this, there's a reward. Sometimes the reward is something actual. Sometimes the reward is just that we don't have a war zone in our home. And there's a consequence if you don't do that. Okay, so it's a behavior contract. And it comes with really knowing the child's heart and mind and how they work if this would be Helpful. So if the child has no um, discipline, no concept of truth and consequences in their life, this is something that might be helpful, particularly, in my opinion, for a child maybe 12, 13, and up. Okay, doing this behavior contract with, with my six-year-old daughter is just, it, it's, it's, it's just too much. But this might be something that's helpful in counseling. Um, now, we want to talk about how we have... Uh, in, in the past, encouraged people when it comes to um, physically disciplining their, their children. Okay, first of all, privacy is an important element. So there's an element of we want to do this immediately, but not immediately here, and not immediately always right here and now if we don't have the ability to do this in a private setting. Uh, prayer is important. I don't go into disciplining my children, whether it's... Um, well, I shouldn't say this. Sometimes I do go into disciplining my children prayerlessly, and it's not cool. Uh, it doesn't always result in me flying off a handle, uh, but just my mentality going into it is very product-centered and very small picture, very, it's all about this one moment, and it's, I function essentially sometimes as an atheist, which is never cool, um, forgetting that God is in control and God's going to use this and um, that the story's not over. Right? That's an important thing. When we want to give hope to our counselees in any area, but particularly in parenting, the story is not over. We're in the middle. The story's not yet over. You might think it is, it's not yet over. Okay, there's been many times that I've told parents, particularly with adolescent children or adult children that have wandered, not all who wander are lost. That doesn't mean we we're not concerned. But let's, it's, let's, it's rude to bury people before they die, right? It's, it's, not, it's not over. It's not over. We need to pray first so that God will give us the right mentality, that God will give us the right big picture mentality as we're seeking to discipline our children. Um, I think we need to ask a series of questions so that children would understand um, what we're focusing on here. What did you do? Was it right? What should you have done? What will you do next time? What does God expect me to do as a parent? Um, these are the questions that I can ask one of my children, the, cho- the child who's more of a thinker and a little less of a feeler, I can ask them beforehand. These are the questions that I ask 
afterwards for my child who feels his way through things a little more because I won't get the right answers if I don't. I love those kids. Communicate the details of the discipline process. Um, <laughs> yeah, never mind. Communicate the details. Of, let's just say that. Communicate the details of the discipline process. Our kids know what's coming, okay? Our kids know what's coming. So we tell them, okay, here's what we're going to do about this. Um, they know that ahead of time. Uh, follow through in love with all discipline. So we don't squirrel. We don't allow ourselves to get distracted. When we've decided an appropriate measure of discipline for a child, an appropriate consequence, we do our best to not get distracted and to follow through with that so that our kids know they can trust us at our word. So whether that's a consequence that's physical or a consequence that is uh, situational or circumstantial, um, then that's something that uh, we want to seek to follow through with. And you should expect pressure from the child to some degree. Okay, so it might not be, there's sometimes where a child will act out and fight back, um, or there might just be a situation where the child is really, really sad about what's about to happen, and that provides a certain amount of pressure for a parent, um, but that's something that a parent should persevere through and realize that what they're doing, having thought through it, having prayed about it, having consulted the Lord about it, having consulted, if it's a two-parent home, consulted each other about it if that's possible, that what they're doing is good and right in the sight of the Lord. Things change over time. Um, so we have found now, I don't even remember the age at which it happened, but for the most part, um, with our oldest son, and we'll, I'll finish with this, <clears throat> with our oldest son, we've had to be more creative. And by creative, I mean we have to think outside of this one box of discipline to try to get a hold of his heart. So... Um, physical punishment is now not the best way. Uh, I'm not saying it's completely absent from his life, but it doesn't have anywhere near the presence it did when he was younger. Um, we've come to realize that there's other ways of getting his attention, perhaps more effectively, um, sometimes hilariously more effectively, than, um, than physical punishment. So we've, we've figured out recently that for him, a dollar lost means more to him than a dollar earned. A dollar lost means more to him than a dollar earned. So this is more along the lines of chores and stuff, but he can get a fixed amount of money at the beginning of the month. It's a dollar a day. And he has the potential to have that at the end of the month. And there are certain things he's held to, and when he doesn't meet those expectations, he loses the dollar for that day. A dollar lost means more to my son than a dollar earned. So that gets his attention, the... the, the potential of getting X amount of dollars by the end of the month and then seeing that potential go down because he's not met a certain expectation um, is a good life lesson and it gets his attention better than we would have perhaps if we used uh, a form of discipline that we're using on the Hulk.